You know, team uniforms are a very important part of identifying who is who when you're playing a team sport. Uh, there's been many times uh, Monday nights when we played basketball that I passed to the wrong player because we didn't have uniforms and we, it was just a pickup game. And oftentimes they would, you know, wave like, hey, pass it to me. And I would do that without <laughs> thinking. <laughs> and they were on the other team. So uniforms, knowing who's who when you're playing in a sport or even in, in wartime is very important. Think of the Civil War. Uh, the North wore uni blue uniforms and the Confederates wore uh, gray generally. Um, in World War II, during the Battle of the Bulge, there were some Germans who dressed up as American soldiers. And uh, they had been in America, so they spoke good English. And they caused havoc because they confused the Allied forces, telling them to go this way when they should have gone that way. So knowing who's who is very important, not only in sports, but in battles and in our spiritual lives. And so this morning, the passage that we'll be looking at addresses that very issue. Knowing who's who is important. So please turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 23. And let me read our passage before we begin. This is God's word. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Well, our passage this morning begins with this wonderful word, children. Uh, it was used uh, last Sunday in the passage, and it's an endearing term, reminding us that we're children of God, that we're part of God's family, that we belong to one another as children of God. And John is wanting us to know something significant in this passage by telling us, children, listen up. And he tells us it's the last hour. And he gives us two reasons why we know it's the last hour. What does that mean? Well, the last hour has an idea, the idea of urgency. It's kind of like the two-minute warning in a game. There's not much time left. We need to use our time wisely. Um, there's, there's a, 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 like I said, an urgency. It's the last hour. It's not the beginning it's nearing the end. And so the first um, fact about knowing that it's the last hour is that, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And John is the only author in Scripture that uses this term, the Antichrist. 
And this is a description of an individual, it's a person, who's going to be coming just prior to Christ's second coming. Jesus is going to come again, and the Antichrist will come just prior to Christ's return. And so the first reason that we are able to know that it's the last hour is the Antichrist is still coming. He hasn't come yet. We, we see descriptions of this individual in other places of the Bible, but they don't use the phrase Antichrist. So, for example, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul uses the phrase the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction, describing the same individual, the Antichrist. Also in the book of Revelation, um, it's, there's a description of the beast coming. And many believe that the beast and the Antichrist is one and the same. But we are being told here by John that it's the last hour because this guy has, is still coming. He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. So we know that it's the last hour. Secondly, he says, And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it's the last hour. So the second reason that we know it's the last hour is that there's many antichrists that's already come. Now, of course, John wrote this epistle in the first century. And so during John's lifetime, he's able to say that there's many antichrists that have already come when I wrote this. And I believe that there's many antichrists in every generation until Christ returns that we can say this is true. So even today, there are many antichrists that have already come. And this passage will explain what that means. Well, who are these antichrists that have already come? One clue is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. So if we sneak a peek later in this book, John tells us in 1 John 4, 3, But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. And so here we get the idea that those who are denying that Jesus is God they have the spirit of the Antichrist. So it could be people, uh, it could be referring to people such as that, that denied Jesus as God, or that Jesus is the Christ, which we'll see later on in this passage. Basically, they're not believers. They don't believe Jesus is God, part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And so we're being told here that we need to be aware of who's who because there's people that are against Christ, they're anti-Christ because they deny that he is God. And they're already here. And they will continue to be here during this period called the last hour or the last days. And so basically the the last hour is, is the time period between Christ ascending into heaven and his second coming. And so if we back up and look at history from God's perspective, for us, this seems like, hey, this has been a long time. How can this be called the last hour? 
But in God's perspective, this is the final time before Christ's return. And so we need to be aware as believers that there's antichrists or people who are denying that Jesus is God. And so we need to take warning or be uh, alert to this truth, this fact. Well, he continues in verse 19 and says, And they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. I believe that they here that went out from us are a description of these antichrists. This is how we know that they are antichrists, because they voluntarily leave us. They went out from us, primarily because they could not agree with uh, the beliefs that we have as believers. They in, truly internally could not agree that Jesus is God. And so possibly for a time, they might have been a, among us as, as a church body, but ultimately they, they couldn't take it anymore. They, they, their, their true colors came out. They weren't true believers. If, if you remember how Pastor Ryan's been telling us that as, uh, as we've been looking in 1 John, that, that we are in fellowship with one another. And that's more than just having bagels and, and having good meals together. That means that we are invested in each other, that we're shareholders, we're stockholders uh, in the body of Christ together. And so we care for one another, we love one another, and we speak the truth to one another. And again, these, these uh, antichrists who don't believe that Jesus is God... They can play the game for a time, but after a while, they, they just can't take it anymore, and so they voluntarily leave. It doesn't mean that any time a person leaves a, a particular church means that they're antichrist, but if they are leaving because they don't agree with the, the beliefs of the scriptures or the church, then that's an indication that they are antichrists. Notice um, how... They, they, at the end of verse 19, it says, however, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. God is wanting it to be very clear that our doctrine or our beliefs matter. And if a person doesn't believe that Jesus is God, they will be eventually exposed and withdraw from the church. Notice that the whole theme of belonging is very critical in this uh, process or in this identification. Let me read uh, verse 19, emphasizing that. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So the whole idea of belonging is so important between knowing who's who as true believers, or who's not a true believer. So what does it um, mean to belong to the body of Christ? Well, we belong because we belong to God. We, we love because he first loved us. Uh, that's the whole gospel message, the, whole, the, the message of the Bible, that, that by grace we're saved through faith in what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. 
And because we put our faith in what he's accomplished, we belong to him. We're his. I, I identify with Jesus because of who he is and what he's done. That's how I belong to him. And then, therefore, I belong to each other because we are family. We belong to one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, my, my dear friend, um, and it's interesting, my, my dear friend happens to be alive. Uh, <laughs> in, in contrast to Pastor Ryan's friends. Uh, and my friend happens to be Pastor Ryan. But Pastor Ryan in the past has talked about uh, believers having fridge rights. And he talked about how fridge rights are when you belong to a family, truly belong to a family, you're able to go into the kitchen and open up the fridge and look to see what is in there to eat or drink. You don't have to ask for permission. You've uh, gained uh, fridge rights because you belong to that family. We don't do that to strangers. Uh, but we do that when we belong to a family. And I think that's a wonderful image of how we belong to one another because of our faith in Christ. Uh, but Antichrist, those who don't believe that Jesus is God, uh, they, they, they ultimately will uh, leave because they don't agree with who Jesus is. That's why membership at a local body is so important because when you become a member of a local church, you're saying, I agree with their doctoral statement. These, these basic beliefs of what the Bible teaches about who God is and what he's done, and churches list those out, and we all agree that we believe these, these basic teachings of Scripture. That's basically true of any church, that when you become a member, you say, I agree to these teachings and also, I then agree to live in a certain way with one another. And we have a covenant uh, here at Green Palm Bible Chapel describing because of these beliefs that we have in God, we now agree to live in a certain way with one another. Why? Because we belong to each other. And that is lived out by us loving God and loving each other. Beginning here in the church, if we truly belong to Jesus, we will be invested in each other's lives. We will care for each other. We will love each other. There's no orphans in the body of Christ because God has adopted us into his family. We were once aliens, hostile to God. Thanks, but no thanks, God. But God did a work in our life to get us to the point where we put our faith in him. And at that moment, we were adopted into his family because we weren't in his family. We were enemies. But now we belong to him and to one another. And it's, it's, it's interesting that there's times where people might not feel like they belong when they truly do because they're truly believers. I'm thinking, for example, um, for those that have uh, attended here for a long time, there's, there's new people continuing to come to Green Palm Bible Chapel. And I would encourage you that have been attending here a long time to, 
to, to look around and, and be aware that there's people who are making this their church, and we need to reach out to them and love them and get to know them because they belong here. But at times they may not feel like that because they're new. They don't know everybody. And so we need to look around and reach out to them. And there's just practical ways to do that. You know, slow down after the service. You know, turn around and talk to the people around you. Get to know them. Uh, how are they doing? You know, what's going on in their life? What's God doing in their life at this time? And for those of you that are new to Green Palm Bible Chapel, I would encourage you also to slow down, to, to, to take time to, to learn that person's name. And, and even if you have to say, now tell me your name again, uh, that's okay to do. Uh, and as you get older, that happens more and more. <laughs> but that's okay. Why? Because we belong to each other. We're, we're family. Uh, and it's such a joy to be a part of a local body of believers. And so the first takeaway um, is that we need to know who doesn't belong. Doctrine and belief or truth matters in the Christian life. Now, I know that, you know, during this time, there's, there's Gnosticism that we're talking about having a, like a special knowledge. And, and if only a, a small group of people, if they had this true knowledge, then they somehow were special. And it didn't matter how they lived, because as long as you have this knowledge, um, that's all that mattered. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what Scripture teaches about who God is. And knowing him intimately, not just having a, a book knowledge of, yeah, I know who the president of the United States is, but imagine if you've grown up with the president of the United States, you would really know who he is. That's the way it is with true believers, that we know Jesus, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because we know him intimately. So it does matter um, who is who, and there's some that just don't belong. And so what, what would happen if there were people who were antichrist that remained in the body of Christ? Imagine that. If there was someone who, who truly didn't believe that Jesus was God, what would happen? Well, it would really cripple a, a local church. Their message of the gospel would be perverted. Uh, it would not be the true gospel. Because how could Jesus save if he wasn't God? If he didn't come in the incarnation, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. So the gospel would be uh, distorted. It would impact our witness. Because if, if, if people started, uh, you know, teaching uh, in small groups or just whispering to each other, you know, is re Jesus really God? Do we really believe that? Uh, did, did, is the, the grave really empty? You know, you could see how that could undermine uh, how we witness to those around us. It would confuse new believers. Um, so it undermined the health of the church. And so that's one of the reasons why John here is telling us, children, family members, we need to be aware that it's the last hour. There's this one character called the Antichrist. He's, he's still coming. He's, he's not here yet, but right now there's antichrists that are alive and well 
And we need to know about that. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know who we believe. Well, in contrast, John in verse 20 tells us a, a description of true believers. Well, if that's people that are antichrists, what about true believers? So verse 20, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So the first fact or evidence of a true believer is that we all have been anointed by the Holy One. We all have. And what this is talking about is being anointed by the Holy Spirit, by God the Father. So at the moment of our conversion, the Holy Spirit does a work of regeneration, which causes us to be born again, that enables us to have faith in Christ in what Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection. And so what, what that means is that uh, at the moment of our salvation, our conversion, we all receive the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us as believers. As you think about anointing in the Old Testament, uh, the priests and the uh, instruments in worship were anointed by oil. And that was to set them apart for ministry, and God equipped them to do ministry of service. And so in like manner, when we receive the Holy Spirit, God sets us apart. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit so that we are confident that if we put our faith in Christ, that we will be raised again with Christ. And he's also given us spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit that enables us and empowers us to do the ministries that God's called us to. All of us have been uh, tasked with a, a job to do by God. And God's given us himself, the Holy Spirit, to enable us to live out the Christian life. And so that's the first way that we know, in contrast to these uh, people that don't belong, we know we belong because we've all been anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Um, John Murray says, uh, in regard to the whole process of regeneration, he says, regeneration is the beginning of all saving grace in us. We repent and believe because we've been regenerated. We've been born again. And that's a work of God that only God can do. And so that's why we pray for those that have not put their faith yet in Jesus Christ, because we want them to be born again. We want them to be anointed by the Holy Spirit so that they are able to be saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, there's a wonderful phrase that says, but God made us alive. Earlier in that chapter, it talks about us being dead spiritually. But God made us alive. So we went from death spiritually to being spiritually alive. And that's a work of God in our lives. So that's how we know that we are truly saved, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So that's the first evidence of true believers in verse 20. But there's a second aspect or truth that John mentions, and that is that all of you know the truth. And again, it's all of us. We all know the truth. Well, what's the truth that we know? Well, the truth is, we know Jesus. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, 
And it's very interesting that a lot of the things that John mentions in his epistles are referenced in his gospel, the gospel of John. But in the gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We know very clearly that Jesus is the truth. That's who he is. He's also the way. We can only be saved through Christ's death and resurrection. That's how we are able to have union or fellowship with God the Father. And so we know the truth, and the truth is Jesus. We know that God sent Jesus on a mission to die for sinners. And we all are sinners, needing God's grace. So the incarnation is so important in knowing that G- who Jesus is. That God sent his son to die for us. J- again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's describing the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about. That God became a, a, a baby, took on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, lived a perfect sinless life so that he would go and become the perfect sacrifice. And he had to be completely man because it was men who sinned against the holy eternal God. And he had to be God to be able to uh, sufficiently pay for all the sins of all the world throughout history. And so Jesus became God-man in the incarnation to become the perfect sacrifice. He became our high priest, as we uh, learned about and studied in the book of Hebrews. Even in the beginning of 1 John, uh, he emphasizes that we know Jesus. Let me read that again for us. What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, meaning Jesus, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We know the truth and the truth is Jesus. Well, John continues in verse 21 when he says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And so John is just reiterating basically what he said in verse 20. I'm not writing to you because you're lacking something. You guys know the truth. You know Jesus. You're true believers, children of God. But he adds this uh, one aspect. He says, but no lie comes from the truth. And so we know that uh, truth is uh, coming from God. God is truth. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we know what Scripture teaches. Again, in in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 17, we read that your word is truth. So not only is God truth, but we know that God's word is true. And so that's how we're able to to always go back to Scripture. What, What does the Bible have to say about this particular topic? or about who God is. God has revealed himself through his word, and that's how we know the truth. And there's no lie that, uh, that comes from God or comes from God's word. 
because God does not lie. He's unable to lie. And we know that God's word is the truth. That's why in, in, in biblical counseling, we use scripture as our basis for uh, identifying what's true and what's not. Because we know that what we read in scripture is always true. Barclay uh, states, uh, has stated regarding this, he says, the greatest Christian defense is simply knowing and remembering what we know. And I would add, our, the, Christian greatest, the, the greatest Christian defense is simply remembering who we know, and that's Jesus. Truth is always the greatest weapon against any lie. So when the world is telling us certain things, that are contrary to God's word, and it's a lie, if you just have this in your life, you'll be happy. If you pursue this, this will make you uh, enjoy, enjoy life. All these things are, are, are lies because the only thing that will satisfy us is the creator, not the creation. The creation is beautiful and wonderful and um, amazing, but it only reflects the creator and his glory in his majesty. So we oftentimes get confused and we're satisfied in what God has created that reflects his glory rather than enjoying the one who created it. And so secondly, we need to know who belongs and those who belong are true believers. It's those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, how do we live? Well, we live by confessing our sins to one another. We're not perfect yet. We still struggle with the, the, the sinful desires of our heart. And so when I sin, I get angry. I'm prideful. I need to confess. I just sinned against you. And will you forgive me? And ask for forgiveness. And we need to repent of our sin. But also, as true believers, we worship together. Uh, not only individually throughout the week, but corporately, weekly to encourage one another. Why? Because we belong to each other. We belong to Christ. We live truthful lives. We're not known to be ones who deceive or are, are always lying, but we speak the truth in love to one another. Again, we're partners. We're stakeholders. We're, we're invested in each other because we're family. And, in, in, and we're an eternal family. Not all of our family members, our physical family members, might put their faith in Christ. But those who have put their faith in Christ, those will be our eternal brothers and sisters. And so there's an a, a intimacy, a belonging that we have as true believers. Well, John, in the last two verses, goes back to describing, well, how do we know who, who's who and who doesn't belong in verse 21? where he says, or I'm sorry, in verse 22, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses to the Son has the Father as well. So here John makes it very clear that the Antichrist or those that have the spirit of the Antichrist those who don't belong are those who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, what, what does Scripture mean by the term Christ when it describes Jesus? 
Well, that simply means that Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that all the Old Testament prophecies that were pointing to uh, one who would come to rescue us from our sin, the one who was the greater king. As we've been marching through First and Second Kings, uh, we've been asking ourselves, um, is this the king that, that was promised that will be uh, 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 from the, the, the seed of David? And we keep seeing, nope, not this guy, nope, not this guy. Uh, all these kings are, are wanting us to be looking towards the one that will come, and that's the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Jesus is indeed uh, the Son of God. Throughout the Gospel of John, over and over again, uh, we see that Jesus is emphasizing that God the Father sent him to do a particular uh, job, and that was to ultimately die on the cross because he loved us, because he wanted us to be a part of his family. That, that Jesus and the Father are one. They're the same. One author says it this way, it's precisely because Jesus is the Christ that our belief in him assures us of eternal life. So, for example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 36, it says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So here, clearly in in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, the one who believes in Jesus, they have eternal life right now. So if we put our faith in Christ, we our eternal life has already begun from that moment on. But in contrast, those who reject the Son, they don't have life. In contrast, they already have the wrath of God upon them. We can see that there's many antichrists among us in in, in the false religions of the world. These are very obvious examples of antichrists among us today. In, the, in these last hours. So, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. In fact, they believe that Jesus is the first of all creation. Or Mormons. One Mormon leader said this, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. In other words, um, Mormons believe that you and I can become gods. And so they would say, oh yeah, Jesus is God, but they are meaning it in a totally different way as, as, as scripture describes God and Jesus. Islam, um, Muslims, they believe that Jesus is only a man, a prophet, just like Moses. And so when people say, oh, don't the, the Muslims worship the same God as as Christians do? Don't they believe in the same Bible, uh, same God of the Bible? The answer is no, they don't. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. And so these are obvious uh, antichrists that are among us in this time. The great divide between false belief and true belief is Jesus knowing who Jesus is. And John, in the last verse, in verse 23, he gives us a negative statement 
And then a positive statement. He says, no one who denies the son has the father. He who confesses the son has the father as well. So first he says, if you reject Jesus, you've also rejected the father. And we saw that earlier. The only way to know the father is through the son. And so if you reject Jesus as God, you are also rejecting God the father. But true believers make a confession. And that confession is simply a public proclamation or a verbal affirmation or openly acknowledging that, yes, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus and what he's accomplished through his death and resurrection. And because of what he's done, I know my sins are forgiven. It's not because of me or anything I've done because I'm imperfect. There's nothing I could do to earn that right standing before God. Only Jesus could do that. And so we make that public confession. And oftentimes that's done through baptism, where once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we want to publicly demonstrate that through baptism, which is just an outward expression of what's already happened in my life. And so that's a way that we are able to distinguish between those who belong and those who don't belong by what they do with Jesus. So the final takeaway, and the the younger children can answer this very simply, uh, we know who's who by asking a simple question. Who do you say Jesus is? It's all about Jesus. Do you know Jesus is God? Come in the form of a man, completely God and completely man, who was able to die for our sins and your sins if you put your faith and trust in him. And so I've got to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you confessed your sin, your need for him? Do you see that you you are unable to have a right standing with God unless you come through Jesus, believe in him? So as a result of knowing Jesus, it gives us the discernment to be able to know who's who. So as people are talking about, maybe they're reading the Bible, and they begin to talk about Jesus not being God, that should alert your ears to someone not knowing the true person of Jesus Christ. And so it could be on the radio, it could be people coming to your door, and they might be using a lot of terms that you might use, and they might have a Bible, or looks like a Bible, like ours, but ask them, who do you say Jesus is? And oftentimes that will be the way that you'll be able to discern if they belong to the body of Christ or if they don't. And as believers in Jesus Christ, as we said before, our response is one of loving God. Because we know who Jesus is, we love God. As we'll see later on in 1 John, uh, we love because he first loved us. And so all of our Christian life, as we are living it out, is a response to what Christ has done in our life. So again, doctrine and truth matter as believers. And so as we leave uh, church this morning, we should be able to, to love God in a greater way and love each other and the church in a greater way because we belong not only to God, but also 
to one another. Let's pray together, shall we? God Almighty, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that uh, because of what Christ has done, because of the gospel, we are able to belong to you. We thank you that by grace we're saved through faith. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, live for you, that we would uh, love you in a greater way and love those around us in, in the church, but also in those in our community, uh, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your, your uh, precious son, and we pray in his name. Amen.